0: Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen. This is going to be a special pit basketball preview edition that we are recording with Craig Meyer, the uh, pit beat reporter specializing in basketball for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Craig, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Corey, really appreciate you having me on, man.
0: Thank you. Craig is. He's got some, some great opinions, like the fact that Ben Roethlisberger is cooked. He's got some not-so-great opinions, like the fact that uh, his, his opinion that Eminem is not the greatest, uh, which we'll let slide. But he is an expert. A, uh, a preeminent certified expert on pit basketball and what this team looks like. Uh, so uh, just thrilled to have you on because you're you're around this team uh, at least as much as possible in COVID times. You know what it, this team is like. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, including myself, don't really start paying attention to pit basketball until the pit football season ends. Now that that's happened, I think everyone's going to be paying a lot more attention to uh, pit hoops.
1: Yeah, yeah. And honestly, it's weird because, you know, and we had talked about uh, before going live here, but I mean, like, were it not for losing to, say, Francis, like, these first five games really, like, obviously coming back against against, uh, Northwestern, beating a Big Ten team, that win looks a lot better now because they just beat Michigan State by double digits. So, like, that game was really exciting the way it happened and that it's against a Power Five team. But, like, Aside from that, those other four games, like it's kind of largely like a warm-up exercise. In some ways, you know, I know that's something I would never say in like question form to Jeff Capel because he's very much like shooting that down and being like, "No, every opponent needs to be respected" and all this. But like other, I mean, th- those games they're a good opportunity to get a general sense of what a team has. Um, I feel in a year like this, it's that much more important with Pitt, where you've got. You know, seven new eligible players. Um, I can say that now, you know, for the past few weeks. It's like, oh, they've got six and one might be eligible. But, um, but yeah, where you kind of try to get a sense of what you have with freshmen and even with a newcomer like Ithiel Horton, who hadn't played in over a year um, in any kind of Division One game. So it's sort of a, an interesting kind of fe- feeling things out time. It's generally not the most exciting basketball, and if it is, it's usually for the wrong reasons like we saw in St. Francis. But, yeah, even for someone like me, it takes a little bit of time to kind of get back in the swing of things and realize that, like, oh, wow, it's basketball season again.
0: Right, and especially, again, with in this COVID year, there weren't exhibitions, there weren't scrimmages, there there wasn't even a ton of time. Uh, to practice certainly some other teams that have had COVID issues and had to halt their programs, pause things. It's just been a bit of a mess. So this early part of the season has been really a tune-up, a a warm-up, trying to figure things out. Uh, But now this team is about to kick into high gear. They've played one ACC game already. They're about to go full into the ACC schedule all the way through 2021, and uh, it's going to be really tough. I mean, the the ACC is strong. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I want to talk about some individual players first and what we should expect from them. We've got to start with Justin Champagny. This guy has taken a monster step up this year. Uh, he sort of went uh, a little bit viral around the country after his uh, back-to-back games with 20 and 20. That's 20 points and 20 rebounds in back-to-back. Put him in elite company with uh, Jeff Capel, uh, former Jeff Capel player Blake Griffin, and uh, back when he was at Oklahoma. And so, as I said, Champagny made some headlines. This guy seems like a legit ACC star. The, the best player possibly that Pitt has had, I can't even, I mean, certainly in years, I, I would certainly think that he's the best player since uh, maybe the Jamie Dixon era. I'm trying to think of Kevin uh, Stallings' era. But, I mean, th- this really seems like Justin Champenny is and has the potential to be not just a, a very good player for Pitt, a great player in the ACC period.
1: Yeah, I honestly, I had gotten a question about this a week ago in, in my uh, in my mailbag where I think his ceiling is. And I think it's first team all ACC player. Like, I don't, do I think that that'll happen this year? I mean, obviously he, you know, obviously he's shown <laughs> – If he called confidence. it right now,
0: maybe. And that could be the
1: case. Yeah, oh, no, no. He, he would definitely be first team all ACC right now. But will it happen this year? I'm not totally sure. I mean, I'm sure he'll, that he'll make an all conference team of some kind you know, I guess for Pitt fans, I don't have any wood do a knock on here, but, <laughs> um, but he, the create, but he, the crazy thing with him is like, I have to remind myself sometimes that like, you know, we've like talked about some of the historical companies had where it's, you know, Tim Duncan, a legit seven footer, Blake Griffin, six ten, crazy athlete. And you even turn back to Pitt guy like DeWan Blair, who was, I think he was listed at six, seven, but like, he
0: was a.
1: Still he's like 6'5", and he and he doesn't have ACLs, but even with him, still like he's he's so big. Yeah, and champenny's 6'6", and like two hundred pounds. Um, and it's with him, it, it's so crazy because you get into all those, like there's talk sometimes with rebounders about there is, I think. And I'm not necessarily saying that he's one of them. There is a form of genius that comes with that. Like I think that people saw it over the summer with uh, The Last Dance where Dennis Robin broke down like how he would analyze rebounds. The like click, where boom. he would basically know like ha- like where off where off of the rim it would bounce, what direction it would go and and run to that spot. And like champagne has got some of that and like he's got – He's got the, the desire because I think that's a lot of what rebounding comes down to in some cases. You obviously have to be at least a certain size, but he's it's really remarkable to see what he does. And I think one of the biggest compliments I can give him, and I don't mean this in any kind of like he's you know, I don't mean this in I, I'm not trying to say in any way that he is lucky with this, but he seems to be in the right place at the right time almost all the time. And I think that's a skill. Um, And he just capitalizes, like he just. It's been remarkable to see him. I didn't think he was going to necessarily improve this much. But, yeah, he, he – I feel weird because I thought the same thing about Xavier Johnson after his freshman year. I was convinced after that I'm like, this guy's going to be a star for Pitt. He's done better this year. But I think I think some of the inherent shortcomings of his game are evidence sometimes. You know, he's still a good player. But Champagne's, I you know, he's followed up the freshman – hype with um some very tangible results here so far i think i'm totally with you i think this is i guess i'd probably go back to like mike young or jamel artist but even with those guys it was kind of like they they put it big they put it big stats but by their senior year and part of that was because of a coaching change like they put it big stats on a sub 500 team like champagne i think can be a guy who does that on an ncaa tournament team
0: Absolutely, yeah. He he's been stellar, and I agree. He's taken a bigger step up than pretty much all of us expected. Uh, another guy who, who's taken a pretty big step up this year, really seems to be an effective shooter, is is Audis Tony. Uh, it seems like there are three players, and we'll get to Johnson in a moment. But three players who seem to to lead the charge for the Panthers this year. You've got Champagny, you've got Johnson. Uh, with, with Audis Tony, little bit of a surprise uh, to some. But you know, he he certainly does seem to have vaulted himself into that position where you've got three team leaders, three guys who are going to go out there, and Tony really has a uh, you know fixed himself in that uh, in that trinity.
1: Yeah, he he was someone who I thought after his first couple of years, I thought he was probably more in line. You know, and this could ultimately still turn out to be the case. I was like, this this is a dude who does a lot of smaller things. I can envision him being like the third of the four score on a good team, but the whole thing was just like, I, I don't know what, where this guy's offensive game is. Like, I think that he did a good job of kind of getting offensive rebounds at times doing pretty well close to the basket, but I'm like, he just doesn't really have that, uh, you know, that sort of effective and consistent outside jumper. Um, so far, it looks like he's gotten pretty close at least, um, you know, to kind of adding that to uh, do as a repertoire. I mean, yeah you know, so far now i'm um, looking at the stats series 52.5% from the field about 41% from 3 i don't know how sustainable those are but i mean if you look at from his freshman year to his sophomore year there was a jump i mean grant his freshman year numbers were very low and it appears like this year there's been a jump too and that's some he's worked on diligently in the off season um for guys, it was a little bit tougher this offseason because, you know, as far as your workout or training options, you're a little bit more limited. Um, but yeah, it's been some. It's been really impressive to see from him, and he's someone who Jeff Capel and teammates talk about a lot as a leader on this team. I think that's another important step for him too. I think even last year he was still kind of immature. Um, I specifically re- uh, remember the uh, Georgia Tekken that they won at home, where Champagne had like 30 points. Tony, like, was legitimately, like, angry when there was a play there where Xavier Johnson looked off him, and you could see, like, he was just extremely mad. Um, I think things like that lingered with him a little bit. But I feel like at this point, with what he's been doing so far, I feel like he's a little I, – I feel like he's past that. I feel like a lot of guys, you know, they've been there – or with him and Johnson, least, they've been there two years – They've had some uh, some successes. The program's clearly gotten better, but I think they're both at the point now where it's like, okay, it's really time to actually start winning.
0: Yeah, this seems like with with Jeff Capel, this is the year where okay, year one the team was horrible the year before. You're just trying to figure things out. Year two, you'd like to take a step forward, and how the year ended and obviously not great. Uh, year three, as you said, this really is the year to start winning, not huge expectations, but really the year to start taking a step up. Champagne's done it. Tony's done it. Xavier Johnson, he's an interesting case because he had sort of a down year a season ago where this was a guy who people thought, as you said, after his freshman season, you thought, I thought, a ton of people thought this guy's going to be a star. He is the franchise. And uh, he, he took, I mean, it's fair to say he, he took a step back last year and this year it's sort of an odd situation there. He's a very streaky player. There are some points where, uh, you watch what he does, some turnovers and you sort of pull your hair out. Other times he can dominate a game and, uh, and really lead this team to a comeback. He played great down the stretch against Northwestern. Uh, and uh, in that big win, he really seems to be the floor general and the guy that that puts it all together. In fact, if I recall, in that Northwestern game, he's the one that found Champagny for the go-ahead dunk, and uh, and it was a great find. And uh, in what looked like he was going to shoot into you know double you know <laughs> triple coverage, he found champenny So this is this is someone who really runs the team out there on the floor, and he seems to maybe have figured out his role, if that makes sense. Now, now as a junior.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I feel like, you know, and this can be hard to accept, I guess, for some players, I mean, cause we go back to his, to his uh, freshman season. He got the fourth most votes for the all freshman team. The three guys who were, uh, who were uh, ahead of him were all among, I think the top seven picks in the NBA draft that year the one guy who who is behind him who rounded up that team is, just got drafted last month, you know, Trey Jones. So, I mean, I, I think that, and honestly, I didn't think I, I, if you would have asked me, you know, 14 months ago, if I would still be talking about him right now as a current pit player, I wouldn't, I I would have said, no, I would have assumed that he would have had a big or a big enough year last year that he would have left. I mean, that was, I, in his mind, that was what he wanted too. That was what he thought w- uh, would end up transpiring. I feel like what you're going to get with him now is, you know, and I, this depends upon how much stock people put into there being like a clear, like tier cast system where it's like, okay, this guy's the top player and this guy's the second best and this guy's the, the third best. He's, he's always going to have a pronounced role. Cause he, you know, he's the point guard. He has the ball in his hands uh, the most. And, even though I think Justin Champagne is the best guy on this team, just based on who he is and what his game is, he's not that kind of uh, you know he's not that kind of a ball dominant guy. So I think with Xavier Johnson, it's maybe more about adjusting expectations or ideas of who he is. I think it's you know maybe he is the second best guy on a potential tournament team or like a team that you know vies for the top half of the ACC. Um, you know, I, I, there are some things in his game that still just kind of, you know, that still give me a little bit of pause or concern with him. He does still turn it over too much. Um, some of the things that he excels with that, that we see in these first, you know, five, six games here where he goes, like, behind the back in traffic and splits through guys, I wonder how that will work against better teams. I mean, I feel like I've seen it some earlier in his career, and he's gotten in some early foul trouble, too, where he'll get two fouls in the first, like, ten minutes or so, and. You know, Femi Odakali has done a good enough job filling in for him, but I feel like he's going to be limiting himself a bit if he gets into a semi-regular pattern of doing that. But, um, I mean, I think the most encouraging thing for him so far is he looks better than he did last year because I feel like that was the biggest fear maybe was that last year was more of a sign of the kind of player that he was as opposed to the freshman that kind of took the league or at least, you know, parts of the league by storm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. He's, uh, he's certainly gone back to how he played as a freshman, maybe even a little bit better right now. He's uh, just a tad behind in points per game. He's ahead in assists per game. uh, And, uh, and in terms of turnovers, he has cut down a little bit. You'd like to see that maybe a little bit more, but as you said, he's, he's a lot more like he was his freshman year than his sophomore year, which for him is good. Another player I want to ask about, because there are, there's that top three, And then there's a question of, well, is there a fourth or can it become a top four? Ithiel Horton is someone who seems to be a solid role player. Maybe he's not a star, but it seems like if there is a fourth best player on this team, someone who can have a big game here or there, maybe if one of those top three guys are lacking, he might be that guy. I mean, can he be productive on a, a solid, you know, fairly consistent basis for this team, not as a top three player, but as maybe a, a solid fourth?
1: I think if you got to – I think if the top three scores keep up what they're doing, where they're all averaging 13, 14, 15 a game, I think that he could be that. I don't necessarily think that he'll be – I mean, he is still, I think, somewhat limited offensively, you know, and defensively. You know, I just hate to kind of single guys out too much, you know, they're – unpaid college athletes but defensively he's not good um and so i feel like part of the problem is that we were i did you know and i don't want to judge too much after six games in fact what we were told about him last year was maybe a bit exaggerated like where he's a three level scorer jeff capel was saying that there really aren't many guys in this league who will be tougher to uh to defend than this guy that you guys as pit players have to defend in practice like I don't think he's that, but I think that there is a lot of value that he can provide if he's a fairly reliable three-point shooter. He doesn't even have to shoot 41% like he did at Delaware. If he can shoot in the high 30s, 38, 39 for this team, that would be great. Um, you know, and he's potentially potential someone, yeah. I mean, if he makes an average of two and a half, three threes per, uh, per game, you're talking about a guy who's at least averaging like, you know, seven, eight, nine points a game. Um, so I think that he could potentially be that for him. I, I I would say he probably stands as the best option, you know. I think that that uh, Nike Sabandi could be up there as well. You know, he averaged 14 a game in his final year at, at uh, Miami of Ohio. Um, you know, but the ACC is obviously a pretty big step up in competition. Well, one that, other guy. Sorry, keep, there, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Oh, no no, 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 that's fine. No, well, I was just
0: going to ask you about Nike Sabandi, who who just came in as a transfer. He's got one game under his belt. He played eight minutes. So, obviously, there's not too much that for, for Pitt fans who are just watching games, they know what goes on. They know that he's been in purgatory trying to get that waiver. He got it. He's able to play. I mean, from obviously, you're limited as well. But what do you think that they can expect from him in this step up from Miami, Ohio, now to Pitt?
1: Yeah, I think he's someone who can at least provide some sort of uh, some sort of offensive spark for him. Some of the lack of scoring depth that we've talked about earlier, like those are valid. You know, those are valid concerns. So I think because otherwise you're kind of waiting on Horton, you know, who's still getting back in the swing of things, and then beyond him, it's mostly freshmen um, who they're facing sort of challenges and acclimatization processes of their own. So Sabani's a guy who I think feels sort of that immediate need. I, I mean, I can't imagine how frustrating it is for him and even just for Pitt fans that, like, it took until now for him to finally get eligible. Um, you know, it seems like it was a bit of a convoluted process, I guess, where Miami felt led astray and didn't want to sign off on his waiver. Um, but during a pandemic, you, I would have – I mean, again, it just to me seems a little bit – you know, if they're clearing these guys after five or six games, like why, honestly, why didn't you just do
0: it like three or four weeks earlier? Right. Um, it really doesn't make, especially since it's not, it's not the situation with uh, Pitt and Cam Johnson a couple of years ago, where that was at least in the same conference. You're going to play each other. I can understand uh, why that might be a little bit sticky, but outside of that, to me, it's insane at all. If teams aren't going to play each other, they're not in the same conference, that you wouldn't just let guys transfer as in normal years. But then especially with COVID going on and them changing the eligibility rules for everyone, just let them play.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think unfortunately for Pitt, at least in the short term, that'll kind of set him back a little bit. I mean, Capel talked after after the uh, Miami game about how, hey, I don't him eight minutes. He's still got to kind of get back in the swing of things, get his legs back under him. But he's someone who, I mean, again, you got to take some of this with a grain of salt because we've heard other guys get hyped up. But teammates talked him up a lot as far as how good of a score he is, some of the athletic plays and moves that he would show in practice. And, I mean, that's something that, you know, Pitt has had that. But on this team, I don't know if they – if they have a ton of guys who can do that, it would almost be a in some ways if like Trey McGowan stayed here and you brought him off the bench. Cause I just, you know, again, him and Johnson as a starting back who playing 30 minutes a game together wasn't really compatible. Um, but with a uh, Horton, that gives them a little bit more of a well-rounded skill set. So uh, I think Saban is a guy who I can see helping in that way. Um, you know, I don't think that he's gonna be a star for him. I don't think he's gonna even be one of their top three uh three scores. But given what we've talked about, if he's their number four scorer and can you know, if his scoring average dips from fourteen at Miami to eight at Pitt, those eight points are still awfully helpful for him.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Because as as we mentioned, if there are those three players, Champagny, Tony, Johnson, they're not gonna be necessarily enough every game. You you might need a fourth and even a fifth guy like Horton, like Sabandi, who's going to score seven, eight, nine points for you and uh, and help you get the win. Uh, one more unit, and uh, I'm not going to ask about one specific player, but I want to ask about the bigs because we've talked a lot about guards and we've talked a lot about Champagny, who is a combo forward, a, a three, a four. I mean, on this team, he's playing a four. Um, but sort of fits that role. He's, he's certainly not a five, though. He's not a center. And they've got a couple other bigs on the team. No one has really stepped up and claimed that mantle as the starting center, as the big, uh, and and someone that is going to lead the charge in the paint. So who is it or who has the best chance? You've got John Hughley. You've got uh, Abdul Kareem Koulibaly. Terrell Brown is there. Obviously no stars on this team. There's not an obvious choice, but who would you guess is going to be uh, the person who is most helpful to the Panthers uh, this year down low?
1: I think it's, I think by the end of the year, it's going to be Hughley. Um, He's, you know, I, I try to caution some people with this when evaluating him in his first few games We're like, yeah, there are times where he's looked bad, but he's a freshman. Like, and he's not only a freshman, he is a freshman big man. Not only is he a freshman big man, like he is a big bodied six, nine freshman big man who like at the high school level was used to just physically overpowering guys. And to his credit, he had developed a skill set that went beyond that a little bit. He's a good passer for, uh, for his size. He hasn't shown it too much yet, but he's a pretty good outside shooter. You know, not someone who will be knocking down like 40% of his threes, but he can at least get you like low thirties. Um, so that transition becomes that much harder. Um, he's someone who defensively isn't great. I don't know if he ever will be great, but his offensive skill sets are really good. He's a good finisher right around the rim. I talked about it. he He's a really good outlet passer. Um, you know, pick and do a lot more inside out stuff that in previous years, you know, at least going back to Kevin Stong's first year, like that was probably the last year that I really saw them do it much. Um, but he, he's a guy who I think makes that possible for them. Um, Abdul Kareem Kulbali, cool I think, like he has improved a lot. Um, I think that things still seem to go kind of slowly for him. And, you know, he, he took up basketball fairly late. Um, I mean, there are, there are still some things like where he gets you – know, where he needs to be a little bit more aggressive, have more of a killer instinct. Like, he'll, you know, he'll get the ball – close to the rim and have like a half a second where, you know, where he can go up with the shot, and he takes like a two handed dribble instead. But if he, you know, his ball screen defense is great. He seems to understand things a lot more now. Um, I mean, I still, there's a role for him. I mean, I could very easily see something where like, you know, Hughley averages like, you know, 18 or 19 minutes a game cool volley averages like 16 or 17 I think it'll still be pretty e- you yeah, pretty evenly split and then Terrell Brown will take up some of those other ones or you can see lineups where Noah Collier's like effectively the five you know, and Brown I think still has a place like if he's averaging you know 20-25 minutes a game for you your team's not in great shape but he's a dude who he can still, you know, he's still a pretty decent rim protector, or he at least alters a lot of shots. He can knock down mid range shots. And he's someone who, if he goes, and this is how he's been most of his time at Pitt, is within the, if he does something offensively or defensively in the first or second position that he's on the court, if he does something like makes a play, he's going to have a pretty, pretty nice game. Like, you know, he's not going to be a huge scorer, but he's going to be very productive for them. If he doesn't, he gets a little more passive and kind of zones out a bit. Um, but he's still a guy who I think for four or five minutes, if you need some like spot up duty, I think there's still a place for a guy like him, especially being a senior too.
0: And, and by the way, you mentioned talking about Hughley and being a freshman big uh, in uh, in a powerful conference. I just looked at the the game log of Steven Adams and uh, his first ten games as a Panther. Uh, he scored more than 10 points two times in those first 10 games. And uh, he was a top, I think, five, certainly top 10. I think a top five recruit and uh, obviously now is uh, is a great center in the NBA. So when you look at freshman bigs, uh, it's really tough to be uh, a Zion Williamson, a Julia Loca. Most guys are going to struggle, especially at the beginning. It seems like that's what's happening with John Hugley but certainly sounds like you expect big things from him. Uh, Craig, I want to ask you about the team overall. Now, you sort of mentioned a lot of people wouldn't even be paying attention yet to the Panthers if they didn't lose their season opener to St. Francis, Pennsylvania. And then two weeks later, they turn around and they beat Northwestern in a huge comeback win. It was on the road in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, Just a, a great performance in the final stretch of that game, really showed a lot of fight, a lot of heart. Northwestern, had, they're obviously a good team. They just showed it by beating uh, Michigan State. So Pitts got a transitive win against them. Uh, and then during the ACC schedule that just started, they got a road win at Miami. Now Miami was missing a ton of guys. But when you beat an ACC team on the road, you'll take that seven days of the week. This This team is certainly in an interesting position. Is it, do you think, that – essentially, who do you think they more resemble? The team that lost to St. Francis, the team that is going to struggle a bit but then storm from behind and beat Northwestern, or the team that is going to, uh, you know, just, just play a, a solid game and win by a handful of points like they did uh, at Miami?
1: I'd probably say Northwestern because this team still just has some kind of – And I mean, this happens a bit, you know, uh, with a rebuilding program and to anybody listening out, their fans, I promise we're in in year three. We're at the point where rebuilding program, honestly, probably by the end of this season, I won't use it that much anymore. Um, But where they still just have some like maddening traits where there's a lot of promise, um, they do some good things, but they'll turn around and on the next few uh, uh, possessions, do some terrible things, just kind of mind boggling things. And I I feel like I will know that this program is sort of past the nadir of the Kevin Stallings era when like, I don't see them fairly consistently go on like four or five, six minutes scoreless stretches. Um, But I mean, I think there's that quality to them where they can compete with a lot of teams. They're tough. I mean, they, they just kind of hang in there. I mean, I think for all that we talk about with uh, Jeff Capel for, is recruiting prowess at Duke and, you know, getting Jay-Z to do a pick game, kind of that, like, more stylish element to him. He does, like – this team hasn't – like, they've assumed an identity here. Like, they are – they're good defensively, probably better than they should be, considering that Audie's Tony's really the only guy on that team I consider a great defender, um, you know, where their defensive numbers are good and they just kind of fight and claw. And even in their worst moments – I mean, there were a couple games last season where – you know the Clemson game, the Syracuse game, where it just kind of looked like they were out of it, or maybe didn't want to be there at a certain point. But it's like they'll fight, and it'll be like the Northwestern game, where it's like I have no—I rewatched that game a couple times. I have no idea how they won that game, <laughs> and I think that you'll still have some games like that, and some wins uh, like that. like you know. I would say there may be parts of, of the Miami game that I think are sustainable, but. I don't think the program's quite at the point where you can expect them to win by double digits against ACC teams. Um, I th- you know, and it, it's interesting coming up here. Cause like, you know, oh I don't necessarily think is that great. You know, Grant, they were missing some guys, but they got clobbered by by Wisconsin over the weekend. They're, they had, they have to replace a lot of their scores from last season. Um, Duke's Duke looks like they're kind of on the ropes, you know, J- Jalen Johnson, their highest rated freshman's out indefinitely. And pit on the 29th, I mean, they're going to get to play kind of a little bit of a reeling or at least not good as usual Duke team in an empty Cameron indoor stadium. Like, if you're going to steal a win from them at some point in Jeff Capel's first few years, I mean, this seems to be it. Um, So it's, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about something. Like, this is, I think the conference sets up fairly well for him, where there isn't, like, yeah, you know, there are very few teams that like, that I that I look at and immediately say, okay, yeah, there's no way Pitt's going to beat them. I mean, that was that way the first couple years, and certainly in in Kempstone's Stone's last year, where like you looked at that, and it's just like, yeah, everything will have to go right. Um, I don't see that nearly as much now.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, looking at the schedule, there's not a world beater. It seems like uh, this year in the ACC, and so that certainly does you know fares well for Pitt because. This is a program. Of course, they could lose any game, but they can. It seems like they can win pretty much any game on their schedule. It's a really deep ACC team this year. I mean, there there aren't outside of maybe Wake Forest, but even that's a road game. I mean, there are not any gimmies this year uh, for the Panthers, and uh, and and so it'll be it'll be a tough schedule. Uh, In your opinion, I I mean, certainly coming these next a uh, couple of weeks they've got. So we saw that they uh, were at Miami and they played a team that was weak uh, and, and shorthanded. They've got Louisville, of course, a little bit shorthanded coming up. Then they're at Duke. And as you mentioned, it's not the same Duke. It's not the same Cameron Indoor, but still tough. Notre Dame is a solid team. Florida State currently ranked. That'll be tough. Georgia Tech, another solid team. Syracuse, they just paused uh, their, their program. But if they can come back, then you've got Duke again. I mean, it is just constant in the ACC. When you look at this pit team, the rest of the ACC, and how deep it is this year, what should be the expectations? What should be the benchmark uh, for the Panthers when it comes to where they they want to finish in the ACC? What would be a good season? And then I'll extend that also into the postseason. I mean, everyone talks about, oh, can they make the NIT? Is this an NIT team? Is this a, a you know a, a uh, CBA team, you know, uh, and, and all that. So what should be the benchmark this year for the Panthers in this very, very odd year?
1: I think a top 10 finish would qualify as successful. I mean, it's a 15-team league. I, I picked them 12th in the preseason. Uh, the, uh, the ACC preseason voting panel uh, picked them 13th. Um, they, were only a, they were only ahead of BC and uh, Wake Forest. I mean, those are two teams that I think very clearly seem like the worst two in uh, in that league. But I mean, you know, I picked them twelfth, but I mean, there were a, there was a hand there were a handful of teams near them, like that. I'm that I could have justifiably talked myself into putting them ahead of. Um, I mean, there are a few that just I think are better positioned for success than them. I mean, you have historic powers who just never fall off that much. You have teams like you know clemson and and georgia tech and you know things have kind of fallen off for him now but except uh going into the season miami seemed that way too um just had more experience and more guys coming back who i believed in um but i mean the thing this league isn't like that strong at the top like virginia's the highest ranked team in there right now and I, I think they'll get their, you know, uh, I, I guess it'd be more, like, I don't know if I can curse on here, but mm-hmm. I, I think they'll get things together um, as the season goes on. Like, But as things stand right now, though, I mean, they lost to San Francisco. They need overtime to beat Kent State. Um, you yeah, know, North Carolina looks much improved, but they're still coming off a 14-19 and 19 season. Like, teams don't typically go from that to being a top 15 team over the course of an entire season just like that overnight we've talked about Duke they look a little bit off this year um you know I think Florida State that would uh, like that team I think is just really really good you know they brought back enough guys and Scotty Barnes who I still that I feel like it would have been perfect if he would have ended up uh going not to a Florida State but to Oregon State and joined up with the Scott Barnes (laughs) but um but, I mean, that team looks really good. I mean, they're, they've they gotten to the point where I give the Duke Carolina and Virginia sort of benefit of the like I always They've gotten to a point where I always just assume they're going to be good, and they're recruiting like crazy too. But beyond some of those, I mean, that next tier, like, again, Lowell replacing a lot. Georgia Tech, I was really high on going into this year, but they lost to Georgia State and Mercer. Um, you know, they've – Syracuse – looks good. I mean, they've got a few key guys back. They had a good transfer in Allen Griffin, but they struggled to beat Bryant. They struggled to beat Buffalo. And then beyond that, like you know, Virginia Tech lost by 30 to Penn State. I don't know if it's 30 or 20, but they they lost by a bunch to Penn State. Um, you know, Clems lost that same Virginia Tech team. Notre Dame beat Kentucky, but they've looked pretty shaky uh, otherwise. I mean, they've played a really tough schedule, but I think they're two and four right now and NC state, I don't have a good feel for. So like the, the agencies where it's not great at the top and it's deep, Um, you know, outside of BC and wake, I mean, those are really the only two teams that I think just aren't any good. Um, But I guess the good thing for Pitt is there's not like that impenetrable class there. Like, does that mean, I think they're going to finish in the top third of the conference? No, but I mean, I don't think it's impossible to think that they can potentially finish 8, 9, 10. Like, that seems fairly reasonable. Um, but, again, we'll have to see if this is a program that can withstand kind of the rigors of the season. Because if Jeff Cable's first two years have been defined by anything, I mean, <clears throat> there's the improvement, of course. But, I mean, in both of those years, too, they kind of fell off. You know, they fell off a cliff in their final 10 games or so, which – I don't think it'll be as big of a concern this year They have much more depth, but um, I do stop myself sometimes as far as it comes to maybe t- putting too much faith or belief in them. Cause I feel like this the like second I do that. They fall apart and then I get people coming at me on <laughs> social media and be like, Oh, hey, I thought you said they were like that. They were back now. So
0: yeah, the, the, the last two years, they, they definitely just fell off a cliff. Uh, but a- as you said, there aren't, they could lose pretty much any game, but they could also win just about any game this year. Nothing would shock me in those last uh, ten games right now. Nothing seems impossible outside of maybe at Virginia, but even that is, is certainly winnable. Everything else, they can win any game, in, in, including and especially some of those games down the stretch. And so we'll see with this uh, with this pit team this season. One final question, Craig, and then I'll get you out of here. In terms of the overall program, you talk about rebuilding, and this is sort of that pivot year where you go from rebuilding to, you no, know, this is this is just a program now. This is what it is. This is Jeff Capel's program and what he's built. And that sort of happens towards the end of the third year, and uh, that's when you can really start asking questions. Is this the guy? You know, What can they do? What's the ceiling? Where are they going to go? What's your uh, prognosis on where this this program is as a whole in terms of the players they have now, how the recruiting is looking, going ahead, moving forward, and uh, just the, the trajectory that this program is on as a whole?
1: So I think that the team definitely reflects – I mean, you can go back to Cable's introductory press conference. And like the team looks like kind of what he said that he wanted then – they're long. They're athletic. They're versatile. Um, and he was someone who had said them like, "Hey, I don't necessarily believe in a particular system. Um, I believe in getting players that you like and sort of adapting to them." Um, and I think that we're starting to see that now. Like he's, you know, the only guy left with that program who he didn't who he didn't recruit is Terrell Brown. He's a senior, so this time next year, everybody will be his. Um, you know, at that point, you'll have you know, depending upon how things go, you could have potentially two guys in Audis, Tony and, and Xavier Johnson. who have been with them for three, four years who can kind of instruct guys and lead the way on, on lead by example as show as far as sh- showing other, 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 other guys who are younger, like what to do in the ropes and all that. Um, it's, I think overall, big picture, like, I mean, there are some things like, I, I feel like there are maybe some unrealistic expectations as far as what he could do f- uh, from a recruiting standpoint. I don't, I mean, he came in as in a six week period and signed two top 150 guys, and Audis Tony and Trey McGowan's. And the guy who wasn't a top 150 guy made the all freshman team that year. Um, you know, his second class in some ways was a little bit disappointing. I mean, Justin Champagne obviously is turning out to be a star from that class. But, you know, I think a, a dual Kareem Koulibaly could be another guy to emerge from that group, but kind of more as a solid rotation player. Um, I think he's going to be judged by this third class in a lot of ways. I mean, just re F five guys, um, you know, that counts for more than a third-year scholarship player's You know, several of those guys were top 150 players, you know, as far as William Jeffress and John Hughley. Um, I think Femi Odakale and the rivals uh, rankings was like 149 or 150. So I think that he's shown that he can recruit like these aren't, you know, immediate program changing kind of guys. I I think that's one thing people go back to a lot where it's like, okay, basketball rebuilds don't take as long because one or two guys can make a huge difference. And he he hasn't had that. It's been a little bit more of a slow build, which I don't necessarily think's a bad thing because for some of those guys, they come in, they have a big year. And if they're really program changing guys, like they're gone within they're gone. a year, yeah. And then you're back to where you were. So in some ways, it's. I mean, I feel like he's opted for something more sus, uh, sustainable that maybe takes a little bit longer. Where you know it's it's more uncertain. You have doubts in year three. Where it's like, oh, is this the guy? Is this the direction we want to go in? I mean, after the St. Francis game, I can't imagine what all <laughs> what everybody was thinking. Where it's it's just kind of like panic at that point. Um, although it kind of it kind of looks more now. I could see continuation of the trend. We're like under him, you know, and maybe they grow out of this. But you're gonna have one weird non-conference loss a year. Um, but I mean, I think they're in a good direction. I don't. I'm in the, I don't know if I'm in the minority on this. I mean, I think some people talk very confidently to me on social media. Best. I don't think they're ever going to get back to where they were under Jamie Dixon and Ben Howland. Like, they could get to those heights, I think, but not at the rate that they were. I don't think they're going to be a top 10, top 15 team year in and year out. I think something to pick and aim for is maybe a better version of what Jamie Dixon was in his final few years, where in a five-year span, you make the tournament three years or so. But I think what you want is in one of those years, like to be a legitimate threat to make the second weekend of the tournament. And if things break right, maybe a Final Four. And I think that Capel's capable of doing that. Almost got tongue tied there putting those two words together, but Capel um, capable. But I mean, I, the, my only concern. By the way, with that's a was,
0: headline for you it, for the Post Gazette.
1: I exhausted so many of those, like once they <laughs> hired him. Um, but I mean, I guess my one concern with him would be. That his record when he doesn't have Blake Griffin isn't great, but you still at least had those VCU years to kind of to kind of look back and be like, okay, this guy didn't need a future a future number one overall pick. And again, I think based on what I've seen so far with him, I've been encouraged. Um, you know, again, I don't think it'll, I, I don't think this is going to be a regular top five team in the ACC. I just I mean that conference is so loaded, at least as far as the programs it has. It's underperformed a little bit lately. But I mean, when you're with Duke, Caroline Louisville, I mean those are three of the top ten programs in college basketball history. Syracuse, I don't know whether they're gonna be after Bayheim, but they're still really good and they pump a ton of money in basketball. And Virginia under Tony Benz, just a juggernaut. So like at that point, like you're almost like, six place is pretty damn good. Right, you're
0: you're fighting for fourth, fifth, you know, around there is your ceiling.
1: And they can break into that group, too. Like, you know, there can be a year, you know, and I had neglected to mention Florida State, too. I was going to say,
0: that's turned into a really good program yeah. under Hamilton, yeah.
1: But, I mean, yeah, they can – I mean, like, you're looking at the potential for, for your next year. If Johnson, Tony, and Champagne are all back, and some of the freshmen like Hughley or Jeffers – Show themselves to be rotation players who can really be counted on, and then who knows what you're able to add—is whether it's freshmen or transfers. Like next year, you're—I mean, again, this all depends on how this year finishes. We're only six games in, but like next year, you're looking potentially at like that being the team and that being the year where like you may look back on Pitt's trajectory under Jeff Capel and look at that. You're like, okay, that was the breakthrough.
0: Absolutely, yeah, I I think. There's certainly, as you mentioned, there are some blue bloods in this conference, but there's no reason that Pitt can't be in that group of Virginia Tech, maybe Florida State, uh, you know, certainly Notre Dame on their their better years. You know, they they shouldn't necessarily – there's no reason they should be worse than Clemson, NC State, some of those teams that are normally middle-of-the-road ACC. And I agree with you. I I think it's not – it's highly unlikely they'll get to where Jamie Dixon was at his peak. Uh, When I was a student at Pitt, that was in some of those final years of Jamie Dixon. When the the first year, my first year there, they didn't make the tournament. That was the CBA year. Um, The uh, uh, CBI, not CBA. Uh, The second year was, uh, was, the steven adams year and it was uh you know they lost to wichita state they were underseeded
1: yeah they got screwed that year it, that was I, awful i maintain that they probably should have been like a, a, a more like a five or a six seed and
0: they should have been a five and really they should have been i mean wichita state was great and they showed up by making the final four and i still maintain that even being underseeded had they beat wichita state they would have done what the shockers did which is beat number one gonzaga and made it to the final four
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's all like that tournament, e- even the scene that goes into it is such a crap. You're like, I mean, yeah, if that team, it was the combination of a bad seed. And then like, you not only, they were, I think they were the eight in Gonzaga or and Wichita was, was the, was the nine. So you not only get underseed as an eight, but you get like probably one of the best nine seeds that we've had in recent memory who just caught fire at the right time and ended up making the Final Four. And, I mean, they almost made the championship game that year. I mean, they were beaten Louisville by, like, 12 points with like 10 minutes left that game.
0: Yeah, it was it was cruel. That year was cruel and then it was you, you know that towards the end of Jamie Dixon it was maybe you missed the, the the my junior year they made the tournament again. I think that year was a 9 seed, maybe a little bit underseeded. Um then uh then my senior year they didn't make the tournament. Uh then the next year they made it back and I think that was the game they lost to Wisconsin in the first round that was just ugly to watch. So somewhere around there as you said, maybe hope of getting to a Sweet 16, something like that. But I think most Pitt fans, especially after wandering in the desert under Kevin Stallings these last couple of years, if you said, okay, this is going to be a program that more years than not, they'll make the NCAA tournament, hover around a, an 8, 9, 10 seed, something like that, I think most fans would take that. Uh, it's just about getting there. I, I think we both agree it's not probably not going to happen this year. We're, of course, hoping that there is an NCAA tournament at all and an NIT and that whole, uh, uh, you know, ball game. But this seems to be a program that if this year goes well, you take a leap forward next year, back in the tournament, programs back. And uh, as you said, not a top 10, top 15 team, but a program that can compete game in, game out in the ECC, make the NCAA tournament and really impress some people.
1: Yeah, and I think there's every reason to think they can do that. I mean, they've made more of an investment in basketball with the upgrades of Pete's – you know, the Pete got to a point there where it was it was like 15 years old. And it was starting to show its age a little bit. It seemed a little outdated in some ways. It's not really the case anymore. I mean, it's always been a great, like, atmosphere and a great basketball venue. Um, you know, and you have – again, we talked about in identity and sort of a brand now. Um, you even see – it when you look at Pitts. You know, when you look at Pitt's roster now, like a lot of the connections, you know, and, you know at least as they appear on the roster as far as guys' hometowns, like those connections to uh, to New York and even the Philadelphia area to a lesser extent, like they're starting to show them, you know, they're kind of starting to come back up. I mean, I think Kevin Stallings, for all of his faults, he actually had an okay idea trying to build a bit of a Toronto pipeline. Um, but I do feel like Pitt's almost at its best. I don't know if it's you know dipping into a well that's maybe not there in the same way it once was. But like I feel like that's a program that generally has success when you really key in on the Northeast. Um, you know, try to get guys from those big sort of you know those big uh, you know, those big northeastern areas where they come to Pitt and they get to play in a major conference. It's it's a city school. Um, I think that there's a lot of an appeal with that. I mean, that's big way that that program got built and they had to find a way to do it outside of the big East framework. I think they're kind of starting to find their way to that now. I mean, I don't, if things get rolling and make it to, I mean, cause like some of those classes with guys like Sam Young and LeVance Fields, like, you know, those guys talk a lot about feeling disrespected and feeling overlooked. I mean, those were still top 100, top 150 guys. I mean, those were, Sorry, those were highly rated classes. classes. Um, so, I mean, if, if they can get to that point, like, again, I don't think – it's not going to be what Capel had it do. Like, you're not going to be – getting. I mean, you could occasionally get, like, a one-and-done when things break, right, you know, if it's the right set of circumstances. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's – try to consistently get to the tournament. Then um, – you know, and then getting classes to at least put yourself in the top forty, top forty, or, or sorry, the top thirty or top forty. It's getting late. I'm, uh you know, I'm, my brain turns to mush at a certain point. It's the uh, Kentucky public school <laughs> education community. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think you've gotten to the point too where people have more modest expectations. And this isn't saying like they should be defeatist. Like you know, shoot for the stars, man. Like you know, you all from. 2002 for for a solid decade, they were one of the 10 best programs in the sport, or at least 15 best in, in the sports. Uh, we'll get to that again, probably not, but like, hey man, there is no shame in being a team that makes the tournament two out of every three years and has one year in there where like you have semi valid aspirations of making a
0: final four. Absolutely, I the uh, to to quote Jay Z, Jeff Capel's favorite. Guess I got my swagger back, and that's uh, that's what this program's going for. Uh, Craig Meyer, thank you so much for joining me uh, on this podcast. Um, I, I know it's been a crazy year covering this team, and uh, I'm sure it'll get even crazier as we got news that uh, Jeff Capel's going to miss this game. He's got COVID, and uh, j- just a really bizarre year. But I know for uh, fans, for people who follow this team, who obviously cannot be at the Peterson Event Center this year, can't follow this team too closely uh your work is uh, more appreciated than ever so thank you so much
1: cory thanks for having me man i really appreciate it
0: uh craig meyer again the uh the beat, the pit basketball beat writer for the pittsburgh post gazette you can follow him at, uh, on twitter at craig meyer pg craig thank you so much and until next week folks i'm cory cohen signing off from unscripted the cardiac hill podcast